Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have do I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, son. Appreciate it. <clears throat> well, good morning, Journey Church. Great to be with y'all. Hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, for those of you who were uh, maybe upset with my comments about turkey, I just want to say we still had turkey for Thanksgiving this year, and it was really, really good, actually. It was really great. But it was so good to be together with our family. Lauren and I got to travel to go see my uh, parents who live in Kansas and my sister and her husband and their four kids drove down, and we were all together under one roof for an extended period of time. And I'll say this, her four kids, we love them. They are crazy, though. She has a seven, a six, and twin three-year-olds. Three boys and a girl. Yeah, the groan, the collective groan. It was so much fun. We had an absolute blast. I hope that Thanksgiving was refreshing for you all, though. You had some space, like Scott had talked about, to rest, to have some Sabbath, to enjoy time together, being in the presence of Jesus. That's fair. Well, thank you. <laughs> Tony's scared it's going to fall on the ground. That's fair. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Um, one quick comment. Again, I just want to encourage you, continue to bring in those shoes. I saw a lot of you bringing in shoes this morning. Thank you for doing that. There was a super cool dino, like these dino shoes that have all a bunch of little dinosaurs on them. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. And again, I in invite you to continue to do that over this season. Now, John Wesley, who was the, the founder of the, the Methodist movement, and as Free Methodist at this church, uh, we belong to that movement that he originally started. There's a long history there. I won't go into it. But back in 1738, he had just gotten back from a trip to what is now Savannah, Georgia, back then again. America wasn't a thing quite yet. They were still colonies of England. And he had gotten back from this trip where he had been preaching the gospel to Native Americans. That was the goal of this trip. And when he arrived home, he was depressed. He was sad because the trip did not go well. It did not, was not successful. It was not one that he felt the Lord moving at. And he really was in a state of wrestling with his faith at a very core, deep level. And he was kind of going through the motions and doing what he knew to do. He was uh, a, a priest back, in, back then, and, and he had this very strange, 
and moving experience that he wrote about in his journal that I like to read. In the evening, I went very unwilling to a society, which is strange to us, what we would consider a small group gathering back then, a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. About a quarter after nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. What John experienced in that moment was the presence of the Holy Spirit, both convicting and comforting him, reminding him of the truth of which God spoke over him. That because of Jesus, his sins are forgiven. He no longer lives under the law of sin, but the law of grace. This moment propelled him into evangelism and started the Methodist movement that we know to this day and him riding across, literally riding across England and the United States, back then the colonies of the United States, and seeing the gospel move forward in a massive way during the 1700s. That moment is what shifted John's heart. As we continue to talk about the Holy Spirit, not every encounter with the Holy Spirit is wind and tongues of fire and incredible miracles of healing like we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 3. Yes, those happen, and yes, the Lord works like that, continues to work like that still to this day. Absolutely. And if we mistake that as the only way that the Holy Spirit works, we will live in a constant state of not feeling like we're measuring up, not feeling like we're getting enough of the Spirit because we're not healing people. We're not speaking in tongues. We're not able to speak other languages. We don't have this wind and tongue. Of, the, if that is the standard, then we will miss the Holy Spirit working in the ways like he did in John's heart. A still, quiet, small, and unwillingly doing what he knows he should do, not wanting to do it, and going to a space and a place, hearing the word of God read, and the Spirit comfort him, speaking to him, and planting assurance in him of his salvation found in him. Both these settings, both in the early Acts and the early church, and John Wesley, God's people longing to be in the presence of God, needing something from him, a sense of expectation that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 3. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we can come together as your church today. Holy Spirit, I ask that everything that is spoken today would be of you, that your grace would reign, and your peace would reign in your name. Amen. Now, before we jump into chapter 3 of Acts, I want to back up and hit the last two, uh, or actually before that, um, I want to talk about this idea of withness that we've been sitting in, camping on in this series of Acts that we've pulled from both chapter 1 and chapter 4 of Acts and this idea of being with Jesus, being with the Holy Spirit and being his withness, as Scott has made up a word that we're just going to keep rolling with, with others. But the question then asks, why does this matter? Why is this important? Why do we continue to come back to this? And to put it simply, it's because God longs to be with, with us. Let me explain. 
From cover to cover in Scripture, what we see is a God who continually wants to be with his creation, with his people, with those who bear his image. Genesis, God's creation, the original design. Adam and Eve in the garden, we are told they walked with God in the cool of the day. I don't think there's a better example of being with God than walking with him in the garden. Man falls, sin enters the world. We see God re-engage with Abraham in a very unique way in his descendants and continuing to create spaces and places to connect with his people. Then in Exodus, when we were back in Kansas, uh, my parents are going to a church out there and they're teaching through Exodus right now. Um, and the pastor spoke on five chapters of Exodus, Exodus 25 through 30, uh, which I was like, wow, that is a, ch- a chunk of scripture to speak out of. But it's five chapters of God explaining how to build the tabernacle. What exactly he wanted, down to the measurements and the materials and the placement of everything that he wanted in the temple. Why? Because he longed to be with his people. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9 say this, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I have shown, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, you shall make it. He longed to be in existence and be with his people, even as they had rejected him time and time again in the wilderness for 40 years. Then we go to the Old Testament prophets, where the Lord is speaking to his people, for his people, that they may know what it looks to live life in a way that honors him, and that they would know the heart and the character and the nature of their God. I'm getting really excited. I'm going to slow down. Then we get to the gospel, which is the best part. Jesus is this perfect example of God sending his witness with us, manifesting with Jesus, ultimately willingly sacrificing himself on the cross, having a bodily resurrection from the grave so that we could have proper relationship with the creator God. Then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, which is the ultimate witness here now, this side of heaven, that we can be with and in the presence of God in all spaces and all places, and that he may dwell richly inside of us. This is a part of why we celebrate Advent. As we sit in between his first coming and his second coming in this season, we have the powerful presence of Jesus in us and around us in the person of the Holy Spirit. In the epistle, God explains all, uh, all to all the churches that he was planning in the movement of God across the known world at that point in time of how to live as gospel people and that we may share that witness that we have with God with Others. And then in Revelation, Jesus' mighty return to draw his children, to bring his children back to have eternal witness with God in heaven. When we take a step back and we look at the grand story of God, there is a consistent piece of his heart that longs to be with his people and that his people would long to be with him. And so I should consider what does it look like for me to be with God? If he wants to be with me, Broken, flawed, sinful, messed up human. Why would a holy, righteous, powerful God want to be with me, with us? And it shows no inherent value of us necessarily on our own, but his value placed on us. This is why we've, this last year, talked about these spiritual practices. Sabbath, prayer, fasting, and more to come next year. Because in these practices, it's opportunities for us to be with 
God, to eliminate some distractions and spend time and pattern ourselves after the ways of Jesus. And it's this withness that begins to transform us. And as it transforms us, we are then able to begin to see the Lord work and move in the spaces and places around us. So with that, let's jump into Acts chapter 2. Last two verses, verses 46 and 47. Every day they continue to meet together. They is the early church. They is the group of people that the Holy Spirit came upon. Peter stands up, gives a testament of what the Lord is doing. 3,000 are added to their day, and boom, the church moves on. Here we go. Every, uh, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Day after day, people were coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Day after day. The community that the early church lived out began to change the community that they lived in. As they lived out their day-to-day life, those around them began to be transformed. And wonder and amazement of who the God is at the core of what was going on. And because, remember this, the church is the presence of Jesus in the people of God for the sake of the world around us. The church is the presence of Jesus in the people of God for the sake of the world around us. It's not necessarily for us. It's for those around us that need Jesus. Let's go into chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. This is a normal, typical day for Peter and John. For us, going to the temple or going to church at three in the afternoon is not a practice, it's not a habit, it's not something we would consider normal. We would say that's relatively abnormal, unless it's Christmas Eve service, and then that's really normal because that's what we're going to do. We're going to come together at three in the afternoon, right? Okay. <clears throat> but this was a normal, typical Jewish tradition where daily they had daily times of prayer in the temple that they rhythmically patterned their lives after. In the midst of the normal, Peter and John are walking in to the temple. And also, sadly, another normal thing is a man who couldn't walk. Back then, if you couldn't provide for yourself, if you could not really contribute to society, you were an outcast. If you couldn't walk, if you had an ailment, if you were blind, you were a social outcast, and you were deemed a beggar. We see this time and time again in Jesus' ministry. This man, what we're told every day, He is brought to the gates of the temple and asking those going in and out of the temple for money to simply survive, to simply be able to provide for themselves for that day. Later in Acts chapter 4, we are told that this man for over 40 years has been brought to the temple gates to beg for money, to beg for food. 40 plus years. This morning, I woke up out of bed and my feet hit the ground. I didn't think twice. I would imagine for most of us here, that's the case. Every day for 40 plus years, he was fully dependent on other people. People, even Peter and John, 
were familiar with this man. They were familiar with who this was. And they understood the question that they got. Could you please give me some money? Let's move on to verse 3 or verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. The ministry of Jesus is full of him talking to people he shouldn't have been talking to, touching people he never should have been touching, eating dinner and meals with people that he never should have been having meals with. Peter and John followed Jesus for three and a half-ish years, and they saw time and time again him interact with the people that society said he never should have. Time and time again, Jesus showing value and significance and worth and healing and forgiveness to those that society had deemed not worth it, sadly. This is Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, from his time with Jesus, patterning himself, acting like Jesus would in this situation, seeing the man and saying, look at me. Which a look provides so much more than I think we realize. This, this man, again, an outcast, saying, look at me, showing significance and value and worth. Uh, one of my a habit that I like to have is, is trying to remember people's names. It's not easy. It, there is a lot of trickery in my head to try and help remember people's names. But what at the core of it is when somebody says your name, there is instant a sense of, oh, I'm known. They know who I am. Oh, wow. They, they, wow, they recognize me. There's a sense of value that's in it. And in this same way as, as Peter and John say, look at us, and they make eye contact, there's value and there's worth and significance transferred in that situation. Peter and John are living out the community, life together. And it's beginning to shift this man. By simply saying, look at us. Verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I do give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Remember who Luke is for a second here. We knew Luke to be a physician, so we get some cool uh, insight from him saying that his ankles and his feet became strong. What we know now, later to this day, and I'm no physical therapist, of which there's like 19 in this room, but what we know now is that when you don't use muscles for years and years and years and 40 plus years, they don't instantly work again. Beyond the ankles and the feet, muscles have atrophied. Is that the right word, Josh? Okay, thank you. Perfect. Okay. I pulled that one out of the hat, and that doesn't always come up straight for me. But they, they wouldn't necessarily work. This is, this is an incredible miracle done in the name of Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. Where not only is, is the man's ankles, feet, but his muscles, everything from the waist down that he hasn't used for 40 years, all of a sudden work because of the power and the presence 
of the Holy Spirit. It's also worth noting that Peter did have access to some level of silver and gold. If you go back to chapter 2, we see the early church, they begin to sell their things and share their resources amongst one another for those that would need it. So he might not have had it on him in that moment, but we do know he had access to silver and gold. So then why the question comes to mind then? Why? Why did he say, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have to you I give you? Walk in the name of Jesus. In the same way that Jesus functioned at his, in his ministry was addressing the root of the problem. Jesus not only forgave sins, which he was able to do with the power of God, he also healed people physically. He fed people physically. There is a root issue that Peter was looking to address with the leading of the Holy Spirit. From the man's perspective, he just needed some sort of sustenance, money, food, water to survive. From the, from the perspective of God, he needed to be healed. He needed so much more than silver and gold. And there are times in, in our lives, my life included, that we begin just to, to manage symptoms in life. Rather than addressing the root issue, whether it's intentional or unintentional, for 40 plus years, this man asked for money, food, water in order to survive. That's all he knew. And the question that he really probably needed to ask was, could you heal me? was not one that I think he thought would be ever answered. It's easier to ask somebody for some coins than it is to ask somebody to heal you. There's a level uh, in my life when my, my parents got divorced as a teenager and the hurt and the pain that that caused me as a teenage boy trying to wrestle through that growing up then and not actually dealing with the root issue for a long time, I began to just manage symptoms and, and in some ways just try to manage sin and manage other ways that this root began to spring out of my life that was unhealthy. There is an intentional piece on my end of running away from the root issue because that was painful, that hurt, it was going to take a lot of work, and it would actually mean that I would have to give up some things. And that's not, that's not an easy thing. But yet, through the help of counseling and my wife and, and people that, to lead me on a journey that I didn't know where I was going, to lead me ultimately to Jesus to heal and the Holy Spirit to transform, it took intentionality. It took effort. And it took asking the right questions. So the question then is, what about you? Is there areas in life where maybe you're chasing around some symptoms, trying to, to manage the symptoms, rather than addressing the root, whether it's intentional omission or unintentional. Either way, Jesus is the great healer of our root issues, of the things that have been done to us or the things that we have done to cause deep pain and hurt in life. Jesus is the great healer. The power of the Holy Spirit is what brings healing and wholeness to life here and now in this age that we live in. Let's continue on. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him 
as the same man who was used to sitting, used to sit and beg at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they are filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. This man jumps up praising God. Uh, if we back up to the end there, verse, verse 8 actually says, uh, then they went with them. Then he went with them. Not only did he get healed, but he got brought into the community. This isolated loner in a degree of society was healed and brought into the family. All of a sudden, he's shown value and meaning. And as the people start to recognize it, wait, isn't that the guy that we walked past for 25 years? Who every time he asked us for money, we tried to like walk faster or avoid him because it was awkward and we didn't have anything on us or, oh, we, we just didn't really want to, uh, I don't know. Like, they saw this man, they recognized him as a lamb. You know, we never get his name. He's only known by his ailment. He's only known by his lack. I'm curious what his name was. Because he goes from lame man to the dude who can now walk. Whoa, he's the walker. That's crazy. And they're filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I won't continue on. I'd love to. Um, we're going to cover that portion of scripture next week. But again, this man was known by the community. And there was a, a shift, a transformation that happened in him. And people recognized it. And they said, wait. Isn't that the dude who couldn't walk? Isn't that the lame man who begged for money? Wow, what's going on? What happened to him? And what is key here is that as Peter recognized the invitation of the Holy Spirit to give away what he had been given, which is being with Jesus. As this man is healed, it opens a door in the crowd. And remember, they're at the temple at the time of day when Jewish tradition, they go to pray. It's not a small crowd of people. And a door gets opened that we'll look at how he responds next week. But later on in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we get Peter's words encouraging us that speak to this moment as this crowd was amazed and in wonder at what the Lord had done. He takes advantage of it, which we'll look at next week. But in chapter 3, of 1 Peter, he says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, not if you, not you might be, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This one moment of healing, amazing miracle, opened a door for the Lord to work in the crowd, in the group. Think back to Acts chapter 2. The miracle of the presence of the Holy Spirit in power and authority and wonder and astonishment. People were so, so uh, enamored by it that they thought the people were drunk. Peter stands up and says, time out. No, 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 no. We're not drunk. It's the middle of the day. 
This is what's going on. And 3,000 are added to their number. Here we are again. People are in wonder, amazement, and they're like, wow, what is going on? Peter says, time out. Let me remind you about who did this. I didn't heal in Peter's name. I healed in Jesus' name. It creates an opportunity. So here's the question, church. How's your witness going? Especially this month. Now, Christmas uh, is traditionally a crazy time of year for people. I get that, all the parties and the fun, and we got to go drive and look at the Christmas lights. We were just talking this morning uh, with a couple who had driven up to Mount Hood and cut down a Christmas tree. I hope it's like 18 feet tall, but like, it's five bucks. It's a great deal. Uh, but but uh, like this time of year gets a little crazy. As Lauren and I are looking at our schedule, it's like, okay, that night, and that night, and that night, and that night, that one too. There's always something. And in this season, especially on the day like today of Advent, talking about peace. It's a hard season to have peace in. It's a hard season to be in a state of, of rest and, and remembrance of why Jesus came to begin with. And also excitement for the reality that Jesus is coming again. Where are you at with God? How is it with your soul? Are you choosing to be with the Holy Spirit? How are some of those spiritual practices going? Like Sabbath and prayer and fasting. Lots of feasting in this season. The fasting one, though. Oh, man, I don't know. The cookies are just really tempting in the cookie jar, of which it is. I get that. But our witness, our time with Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit it was what empowers us and ultimately is the best gift we can give in this season. How are you carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit into spaces and places in life, especially in this season? Uh, I want to share a quick story and then I'll, I'll wrap this up. I am watching this candle very closely, just saying. Um. So at the beginning of this school year, the principal at Sherwood Middle School reached out to a handful of people in the community, including youth pastors and youth workers, asking if there would be any adults that would be willing to come hang out at the middle school during their lunches. Uh, they've had some issues behaviorally uh, with middle schoolers this year during lunch. And she is actually a believer, a wonderful woman, and she's like, we just need help. Uh, are you willing to come hang out? Youth pastor buddy got the email, sent it out to all of us. He's like, hey, who wants, to, who wants to come? And there is a crew of youth pastors that descend on Sherwood Middle School on Wednesdays and just hang out at lunchtime. And it's a blast, truly. It, middle schoolers are crazy and awesome, and it's a, it's a ton of fun. <clears throat> and it's been really cool as the months have progressed, and there's been some, like, you go from, like, who's this weird person who's just, like, over there to, like, oh, yeah, they're, like, Cool, and people, students come and like, why are you here? Do you have a kid here? And I'm like, no, I don't have a child here. I really don't. I'm like, but why are you here? And I'm like, I'm just here to help throw away trash and give out fist bumps. That's what we do. We walk around with trash cans and give fist bumps to students. And it's, it's truly, it's a really unique opportunity. And for a youth pastor to be invited into the public school setting by the principal and say, we just want you here. Woo! Doors wide open, game on, let's go. So, but every, every week, we gather in the parking lot, 
and we pray. And we say, Lord, we just want to be your presence in Sherwood Middle School today. Lead us in your love to those around us. Super simple prayer, really unique. I want to share one quick story. Um, there's a young man there, eighth grader. It's his third middle school in three years. Do the math. Kicked out of two, one sixth grade, one seventh grade. He has no parents in his life. He lives with his grandma. And he, he's, he's just make, made poor decisions. And it's, it is a three-strike-you're-out kind of scenario when it comes to this age in middle school. And for whatever reason, this young man, during his lunches, just wants to come and hang out and chat, get a fist bump, and we just talk, talk about his last week and encourage him to like, be respectful and be nice. He also loves to come hang, hang out with us during like, other lunches when he's supposed to be in science class because it's like science class. That's <laughs> like, sweet, go fill up your water bottle and get back to class. Come on. But... For whatever reason, this young man just wants to come hang out with the three, four of us that are there on Wednesdays. Only, only solution, only answer I have to that is that there's something in us that he longs for. And at the core, this young dude, is, he just wants love. He wants to be known. And we know his name and the power of just saying his name and giving him a big high five. And it's a big deal to him. It's small to us, maybe. But to him, it really, really, really matters. For us, as, even as youth pastors, it's a space that we, our witness, our time with Jesus, we get to give it away. We get to give the gift of being with Jesus. And our prayer is that it would begin to shift and transform his heart. And that he would have a sense of knownness and that whatever is going on in his life, that on Wednesdays, he's going to see at least one of us. And there's going to be a fist bump and a yo, what up, and how was the week. And that is an incredible gift that we get to give away. So the question is, where do you get to give away this week? Your witness, your time with Jesus, the Holy Spirit that indwells in you, that is around you, that is with you as you carry it into the spaces and places of your week, how can you give that away? I want to invite the, the worship team up. And um, if you have a journal or a Bible, feel free to, to close it. <clears throat> um, if you need to readjust in your seat, maybe stretch a little bit, that's all right. We're going to end um, by reading a prayer over us. I encourage you to read it as well if you want to. But... Uh, this prayer is from a guy named J.D. Walt in a devotional that we continue to reference throughout this series and with a couple shifts and alterations in it. But I just want to ask you to posture yourself in a way to receive this. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's maybe uh, eyes closed, head bowed. Maybe it's eyes open, reading on the screen. It'll be up there. Uh, maybe it's, it's hands out in front of you, wanting, wanting and willing and waiting to receive. Maybe it's on your knees, on the floor in the aisle, up in the stands. Whatever that posture is, please feel free to take that today because I do believe that this is, this is from the Lord. It says this, Lord Jesus, I am your witness. I receive your righteousness and release my sinfulness.
I receive your wholeness and release my brokenness. I receive your fullness and release my emptiness. I receive your peace and release my anxiety. I receive your joy and release my despair. I receive your healing and release my sickness. I receive your love and release my selfishness. Come, Holy Spirit, transform my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that my consecration becomes your demonstration, that our lives become your sanctuary. For the glory of God and Father, amen.